The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon. So good to be with you here in mid-December as we continue to roll through our getting ready for the Bulls season and try and get through this two-week period where all we have to watch is FCS playoff games, you know, the guys that do the thing right. Um, <laughs> I'm joined wait, by... Mean, wait, wait, wait. You mean you're not fired up, circled up for the uh, Las Vegas Bowl there, Jeffrey? You're not... Uh, or the New Orleans Bowl? Who's, no? Who's, do it for you? who's playing in that game? I have no idea. Okay, well then I can't get excited about it. Uh, Eric Lopez <laughs> and Brian Murphy joining me here. Uh, how's it going, fellas? Oh, it's just splendiferous, well, Jeffrey. There, what are we... It, what, what, you, sound, you don't sound... As excited as you normally are, come uh, hot stove season, Brian Murphy. Oh no, hot That's stove season has has not disappointed. Again, people understand the winter meetings have been great, in that not a whole lot has happened. But that's not what the winter meetings are about. The winter meetings are about they're unfounded. They're no, ta- winter meetings they're, they're are about, about talking about. Rumors. Yeah, they're talk. They're they're about talking about the things that don't happen. Right. That's that's what yeah. the, that's what the winter meetings are about. And yes. so that's why I do love this week because we've had discussions like that is Noah Syndergaard going to the Yankees or is Noah Syndergaard going to the Padres and it's like it doesn't matter because Noah Syndergaard's probably not going anywhere uh but who cares let's talk about it and that is enough to get me through the the dark days of winter uh-huh. sounds well, like college football this week basically a lot of nonsense stories out there about nothing well let's let's not talk about uh <laughs> baseball let's talk about UCF we are the black and gold banneret podcast you can find us at blackandgoldbanneret.com uh, we are at facebook.com slash black and gold banneret and on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Subscribe to our podcast if you don't already on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever else you can find fabulous podcasts that are given away for free. All right. Uh, we'll talk about football a little bit. We do have a guest in today's show. Taylor Young joins us, uh, the uh, analyst for UCF basketball on the radio. Eric Lopez talked to him uh, about the uh, actually the day after UCF defeated uh, Georgia Southern in a high scoring matchup. Uh, we'll talk about that and talk about the and kind of get us get ourselves all kind of caught up through the first 10 games for UCF basketball. Uh, we'll be talking about UCF women's basketball's hot star, and we'll uh, we'll we'll touch upon a little bit of LSU and UCF with regard to uh, degenerate related stuff uh, having to do with lines and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but first, I wanted to dive in with uh, men's basketball uh, with UCF coming off. Of, well, they're up at eight and two, which is uh, which is you know not a bad place to be. Probably could have been a little bit better with uh, with some of the earlier matchups. Uh, that didn't go UCF's way, the FAU loss and the loss at Mizzou. But uh, coming off of that, the Knights have actually uh, played fairly well. They they beat Grambling by 25 at home. And uh, in the middle of this uh, six-game uh, home set, or five-game home set, um, they finished up uh, Georgia Southern the other day in a game that on Tuesday night that was a little bit, it was a little iffy there for a little bit, but a lot of headlines coming off of a 95-88 uh, win. 35 points for B.J. Taylor. That's a career high. Taco Fall also became UCF's uh, all-time leader in blocks. It was just a matter of time before that happened. 
But uh, you guys were there. You watched the game. Uh, Brian, I'll start with you. It was uh, it was looking a little bleak there in the second half when Georgia Southern, I think they shot almost 65% in the second half, and yet it wasn't enough uh, to overcome UCF. You know, we talked about how good the defense was for UCF, but in this game it was the offense. Yeah, uh, Georgia Southern and their up-tempo style of play uh, really sort of got whatever they wanted in the paint area but you know against the knights in that second half they were shooting above 70 percent for most of it um and ucf's offense you know give them credit they don't like they don't like to run fast they don't typically run fast a lot uh they really ended up playing a lot of georgia southern style of basketball um but let's not gloss over the story like the, the main story here which is bj taylor is outstanding he's he's phenomenal <laughs> when he can get hot and uh man oh Oh, man, did that kid get hot late in the second half, uh, basically carrying this team uh, to a victory. And a game that looked a lot like the FAU loss. They, you know, they're up 17 early in the first half uh, of this game, and then, and then it looks like they're going to blow it, kind of like how they let the, the FAU game slip away. Uh, but, uh, man, B.J. Taylor was a man possessed. Uh, 15 points in the final three minutes, 58 seconds of that game. Uh, he could not recall a time in his career here where he had been – uh, hotter on the court for for a short stretch like that. Johnny Dawkins said it was one of the best performances he had seen from from Taylor since he's been here. Uh, undoubtedly, that's true, uh, and he's the reason why this team is is eight and two and not seven and three, and really kind of kicking itself for giving away another game. With the, the entire storyline has changed because of BJ Taylor. Yeah, you also uh, you mentioned. I'm glad you picked that picked that out. 15 points in the final. 358. He had 27 of his 35 after halftime, which is. I mean, just kind of unbelievable. But, but we're used to seeing this now. It's just it, from him, you know, the last few years where he just decides to take over late in the game. But w- what's been the difference? Because usually he, you know, we kind of get a little worried when he gets when he has decides he has to take over the game um, late in the second half. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But in this case, um, it did work. I was concerned, actually, about some of the problems, like you mentioned, that they had in the paint. I mean, Georgia Southern... Um, let's give credit to the Eagles for 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 doing what they did in the second half and kind of owning the paint. What in the world? How is it that UCF could struggle defensively in the paint when you have a guy like Taco Fall back there, who's your who's supposed to be your your backstop, but you also have a couple other big guys alongside him who uh, who who are, who are allegedly pretty good at the defensive end. What in the world happened? Uh, well, this is not a game made for Taco Fall. And this is something that UCF will have to address when they face teams like Memphis or Connecticut, teams that run uh, a higher pace of play uh, as the season goes on because Taco in the second half was was gassed. And he just not a game made for – he cannot keep up with that pace. So really, you know, yeah, defensively it wasn't great. They'll have to – they'll definitely have to correct some things, you know, in the paint area with when, when, the, when they go out – when they take Taco out – and they would rely on Colin Smith and, and Chad Brown. But really, I thought that, you know, Colin Smith's ability to, to play at that pace, because he was a facilitator for a couple of those threes that BJ made late, having him in there and, and having him improve upon what UCF would have had in there last year when they, when they needed to put Taco on the bench is a big deal against these teams that are going to run up tempo. Uh, so I thought Colin Smith was a, was a was a huge factor in how they made their how they kind of made their comeback offensively, defensively. You know, yeah, there there are going to be issues that we're going to have to look at and and, and kind of track throughout the season of 
when tacos off the floor, uh, how much of a defensive uh, blow is it to this team? But I thought really Colin Smith and his ability to run and, and be a sort of a stretch four, stretch five guy in those late stages when the pace was just frantic and able to keep up with it and keep the offense moving and, and throw the ball around and find BJ as an open shooter uh, was really a big part of this game that probably got overlooked a little bit. Eric, I was following some of the stuff that you were saying about this game, and, and you were pretty complimentary of it, while a lot of people were, you know, typical contrarian you, Lopez. You know, it, it, you were you were pretty up-tempo about everything when everyone was kind of freaking out and losing their minds. What was it that you were seeing in this game that that kind of, that that made you think, okay, we're, you know, this is going to be fine heading into conference play? I actually, yeah, I think this in the long run is going to help them. First of all, because I follow the sport pretty well. So I knew Georgia's Southern style would present problems. And I texted people before the game. I think this is going to be a nail biter. Georgia Southern is coming in averaging 88 points a game, which was in the top 10 in the NCAA. They were shooting over 50, I think they were like 52% from the field coming into that game as a team, I think. They were among the nation's leader, if not the leader in college basketball, shooting the basketball. Now, they weren't shooting great from three, although you couldn't know that based on how they played Tuesday. But I thought it was a very high-level game. And, you know, I, you know, we as fans and media, right, we always focus on the negative. Oh, well, how come the defense struggled and this or that? I mean, Georgia Southern was making shots. They were shooting. I think they shot like 65% from the field in the second half. Give them, And they've got a good backcourt player there, a couple of guys there that can play. Um, and I don't know, uh, Murph, if anybody's asked Coach Dawkins this. We focus so much about when the philosophy and scheduling quality teams and this or that. Something that sometimes in basketball in particular uh, doesn't get talked about enough. Sometimes you also schedule different styles to see how your team reacts. And I thought it was fascinating to schedule a team like Georgia Southern was pushing the ball up this year, a contrast of styles. I think helps UCF because my biggest question, and you know, you mentioned I talked to Taylor about it, was would this team have enough scoring other than B.J. Taylor and Aubrey Dawkins, especially if one of them would have the, a night uh, off night like Aubrey did? And what we found out is, yes, they do have other guys that could step up and score and contribute to scoring. That's why I thought it was a positive that they won a game where they had to score, that they didn't have to depend on their defense every time. Because as we get into conference play, uh, they're going to have to score, some, I think, to win some of these games. I don't think you're going to lock down everybody in conference play. There are some good teams, as we'll get into in the American, that I think are a lot better than the national media thought. And uh, I, I was impressed. I thought it was a high-level, quality play game. Uh, give credit to Georgia Southern for pushing UCF. And I give UCF credit for finding a way to win the game. It's, you know, sometimes you got to tip your cap. Murph, when you look – oh, go ahead. I thought I heard you, you say we are going to say something. <laughs> you heard me breathe. I did. Uh, yeah, I'm that think... good at this, by the way. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to say uh, – you know, there are a lot of teams. Most, I would say, most of the American Conference has teams that don't run at a very high pace. Uh, your Houston's and, and and teams that that do slow down and play kind of a grinded out style like UCF typically does. But Eric is right in that games against UConn and Memphis, two teams that rank in the top thirty in terms of pace. Uh, you know, are, are, this, this this is a good prime. This was a good primer for UCF. I mean, Georgia Southern was eighth in the nation in terms of possessions per uh, possessions per uh, like possessions per one hundred. Uh, I think possessions. 
Uh, they, they, or something like that. Was it's it right. points per 100 possessions? Yeah, that's, yeah. No, not points per, but, but tempo-wise. Ah, okay. They are eighth in the nation for, in terms of possessions. Anyway, my point being is that this is a really good test for UCF to see if they can keep up. And Eric is also correct in that they, they got scored from other areas. There were five guys who were in double figures for this game. Uh, Colin Smith, again, double-double his second of the year. It, it did. We we can't we can't forget that this not only took a a, a good game from BJ Taylor. It took one of his best games of his career for them to to really you know narrowly pull this one out. And you're not going to get that all the time. But there are other options here that they kept them in there before BJ took over. So there is that. Uh, they do know. I think even in the post game they talked about how you know they they at least this is this assures the guys in that locker room that they can play at any style they want to. Uh, or, they, or they, if they need to. And uh, I think that helps. And, you know, typically you will not see that kind of game from this team. It's just not the way they typically do things. Um, but Johnny was pretty adamant, too, saying, you know, doesn't mean, just because we don't usually play that way doesn't mean we can't. I know there are guys on this team like BJ and Terrell and Aubrey who want to play that style. Um, so we can do that, and we show that tonight, and it's true. And so now uh, – you know, before they get into conference play, they will not see another opponent like that who, push, who pushes the the pace at that level. But once they do get into conference play and play UConn and Memphis, we're going to look back on this game against Georgia Southern and talk about uh, how this game prepared them well for those more important conference games. Well, looking around the American right now, um, you, know, uh, you know, your typical, you know, sort of cupcake December, but... Um, right now at the top of the league, Houston's off to a nine and zero start. Cincinnati's won nine in a row. Well, let's circle Houston for a second because I think a lot of people thought they would drop off with the graduate with Gray graduating. They just knocked off LSU at home. Yeah, they have beaten Oregon, who's in the top twenty-five. They've beaten Oklahoma State. I watched them; they look legit. Kelvin Sampson, which by the way, Murph, you would have appreciated. Forty seconds into the LSU game, took off his jacket. Oh my goodness <laughs> gracious! That's a new record. I uh, know it was wild. Um, and they got a brand new arena. That arena, by the way, looks fantastic. Uh, mm. They've got a great environment. I think they're legit. They're really good. Cincinnati. Just knocked off Xavier. They got a big game at Mississippi State on Saturday. They look good. How about Tulsa? Beat Kansas State, a team that's a very uh, trendy Final Four type pick and by a lot of people in the preseason, and they were an Elite Eight team last year. They beat them the, over there. I mean, I'm telling you, this league, which was kind of, you know, oh, it's a down year, and this is like, there are some teams that are a lot better. It's a lot more competitive and better as I get into it with Taylor in the interview. But uh, I, I, this league is very good, and I think it's going to be a very interesting year in the league. I, n- not that – I know that they're not using it anymore, but I still find it to be a rather um, helpful metric. <clears throat> um, it, it, I know that they don't, use the, they don't use the RPI, but I was taking a look at the men's basketball RPI, and let's pour one out real quick. For Cincinnati as well, who's back up to their usual tricks at yeah. uh, at nine and one, like you mentioned, Eric. Um, UCF, interestingly enough, right now, uh, if they still use the RPI, is at forty seven. Georgia Southern, interestingly enough, at forty six. So right. that kind of gives you an indication of how good Georgia Southern. I think people think Georgia Southern are like ah, another cupcake. Well, no, they're actually they've moved uh, they've moved up in conference. Um, and they're, like you said, they're a pretty good team. Now, UCF gets to rekindle an old rivalry in their next game on the 16th uh, against Stetson. Um, some of us old hats in the room love this kind of thing, but um, 
when you pull up what Stetson's been doing so far. (laughs) No, not so much. They had a very bad start to the year. They're two and nine. They have an overtime loss to VMI. They lost at Bethune Cookman by ten. They lost to Duke. 113 to 49 they they uh it, yeah it's been it's been bad their only wins are against something called Johnson which is in Florida and <laughs> and and also Western Illinois at home by 4 they're coming off a loss by 4 to Marist at home um boy it sounds see, like a heck of a game huh Murph? yeah yeah <laughs> I can't. I can't wait to be there on Sunday afternoon, right in the smack dab of Week 15 in the NFL. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so, so in comes Stetson. We're expecting this to be a walkover, are we not? It better Stetson, be. Yeah, Stetson's <laughs> Stetson's one of the worst teams offensively and defensively in college basketball. Now, offensively and defensively, and, and coincidentally on special teams too. Hey, listen, Stetson's. As far as Stetson's concerned, they're already looking ahead to February opening day in baseball. They don't. It's, <laughs> That's it's, right. You know, well, they're, they're moving on. Yeah. When was the last time UCF actually beat Stetson? I, I think it was. I think it was actually uh, last year. Yeah. Oh God, that's right. <laughs> oh Lord, that that's it. right. I forgot about that. Jeez, Louise. I mean, it, it, it was. It wasn't forgettable. I mean, playing Stetson sometimes yeah. is forgettable. Well, basketball. yeah, well, well, chance for revenge there. That's at home at CFE Arena, 3 p.m. on Sunday. Uh, also on ESPN3. Next game after that at home is against Illinois State, but that's not until uh, Friday, December 21st at 7. All right, well, if you do listen to UCF basketball, and you should if you're not able to watch them on TV, you know our guest on our podcast. He was a former UCF guard. I actually did a video feature on him one time, way back in the dark ages. Uh, and uh, now, uh, true to form with uh, former UCF guards, he's made his way into the media business uh, as the analyst, or radio analyst for UCF men's basketball, alongside the voice of the Knights, Mark Daniels. Joining us uh, a little, uh, actually a little earlier, we're recording this on uh, early Thursday, um, joining us uh, late Wednesday is former UCF guard and UCF Knights uh, basketball analyst uh, Taylor Young. Joining us now here on the Black and Gold Banneret, of course, he's the radio analyst for UCF men's basketball, works the games with Mark Daniels. You hear him on, on of course, 740 the game, 96.9 the game, and as well as on iHeart uh, Online. And, of course, former guard at UCF basketball, our very own Taylor Young joins us. And, uh, Boy, Taylor, I tell you what, as a guard, you had to enjoy that game on Tuesday night at Georgia Southern UCF. That was a pretty entertaining game for a high-level college basketball game. Yeah, you know, you didn't want it to end. Fast-paced. Um, you talk about Georgia Southern average 88 points a game. And so you really felt like you got to the end of it, and, and you felt like the pace was in their favor. But then you start to realize how much talent UCF has, and, and they were on all cylinders offensively. Um, and, and imagine when they can get Bobby Dawkins going. He didn't have his best game, but um, had a solid first half, hit a couple shots. But just you see how many weapons UCF has. And But more than anything, that, that night was special just to see that they've been so good defensively the last couple of years, and that's been Coach Dawkins' staple. But uh, a game like last last night, you see how much talent they have and, and, and the recruiting he's done. It's, it's, it could be special this year. I really mean that. 
Well, I thought that was a, a very important to win a game like that because I had questions about whether they had enough offense outside of B.J. and Aubrey, and I, and I wondered to myself, well, what happens if one of them has an off night uh, and who would step in? And it was nice to see a few guys step in and get some baskets there uh, uh, and hopefully see that more of a consistent basis instead of depending on just two guys uh, on a given night. Yeah, you know, and I think there's plenty of guys to go around. Uh, Terrell Allen, the point guard, uh, you know, Coach Dawkins, in his words, said he's the most improved player uh, from last year to this year. Uh, and he's a guy that really runs the show, but he can score. He can shoot it. He's shooting it really well from the three this year, although he's not taking that many. And he attacks off the ball screen uh, just about better than anybody on the team. And you have Colin Smith, who's a back-to-the-basket post player that shows versatility, hit two threes last night. Um, you have Taco Fall. He's a continual dosage, right, man? He's just a tough guy to guard. Um, so there's just a lot of weapons for the team. And, and outside of BJ and Aubrey, although BJ, I mean, look, we need to talk about him because he took over last night. And, and really, he won that game down the stretch. And when they needed a bucket, he got it. But uh, it's going to be different guys throughout the rest of the season, Eric. You're right, BJ, 35 points career high, and you could tell he felt it. And it was interesting because watching BJ, there's times where he kind of maybe tries to set up others, maybe defers uh, a little bit to others, but then maybe picks his spots to take over. And he clearly knew uh, you could sense it uh, in the second half there that he had to take over, and he dominated that second half. Uh, what's it like you play when you've got that rhythm and you know you've got it and you just you feel like you can hit everything? Yeah, he just want the ball, you know, and, and BJ is a guy that, you know, when I look at his career, um, you know, obviously this is his fifth year, given the red shirt, and, you know, he, he just wants the ball. And he's not scared to take a big shot. He's kind of one of those guys that when the game gets close, it's, he could miss four threes in a row, but he's going to hit that timely three that gets your, your, your club back in the game. And so – uh, you know, I'm happy for him. He seems like he's healthy. He's explosive. In a game like last night, you, you look at a guy and over a career, you hope that they're playing their best basketball in their senior season. And I truly think BJ is, is capable of playing his best basketball in your senior season. So it was fun to watch him just blow up last night. It really was, and and I felt like I feel still feel like, and I don't know how you feel about it, we're ten games in and at eight and two, and I still feel like this team is still trying to figure itself out how to play with each other. You know, I was talking with uh, Ben Stout uh, about this, about you know, I feel like Aubrey and BJ, for example, it reminds me a little bit of Wade and LeBron in their first year in Miami, where you know sometimes they go out of their way to defer to the other guy because they didn't want to, you know, yeah. and, and I feel like that happens still between those two and and, and 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 on the court at times where maybe one's deferring a little bit too much and they're still. Learning learning to play each other. Do you get that sense so far? Yeah, yeah it's an interesting comparison. I mean, you, you look at two guys that are, in, in their own right, two of the most talented guys in the conference. I mean, when you watch them play, like I always say about, you know, BJ, we talked about his shot-making ability, but Aubrey Dawkins, um, he's got, like, the, the, the most high level of difficulty. I mean, the guy comes off screen, Full speed, knocks down one, two from three, whatever it is, right? He doesn't get a lot of easy buckets, and he's still trying to figure his way in this conference, in this system, to be able to, you know, make it a little bit more easy. BJ's the guy that gets to the foul line, kind of has a sneaky 19, 20 points. Aubrey's the guy that could make five or six special field goals, but maybe ends up with 16. 
So, yeah, those guys have yet to see their best days. And when they both play well, um, UCF's just really tough to beat the way they play defensively and the weapons they have offensively. Aubrey and BJ are the most important. Um, I, I agree with you. I think they've yet to gel like they can. Um, and I'm excited just as a fan to see that happen. I know, I know it will happen in time. A lot of guys, you know, they, a lot of people say, hey, they've played together the last couple of years. No, no, they haven't, right? Like game speed different than practice. Aubrey sat out for two years straight. And, you know, BJ's been injured and, 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 and all this coming together. Now they're starting to play together. So I expect January, February, those guys to really hit a stride as far as their, their chemistry. Plus, in college basketball, you don't. Ha- it's not like the NBA where you play a handful of preseason games, and obviously the NBA season's lengthy with 82 games, so you have plenty of time to figure the roles out and things like that. College basketball, and you can speak to this being a, having been a part of it, you know, you get practices in, maybe you play an exhibition or two, and next thing you know, boom, you're tipping it off right away here uh, in, in, in non-conference for real. So, so the, the, that's kind of a bit of it. It takes a little while into the season sometimes to adjust to each other, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so, and I think there's part of the season that they're at right now. Uh, once finals end, the first semester, and you kind of grow through this holiday season before conference, I think you can either get so much better or you can stay the same, and I've been on teams that have done both. And I really see this team getting better. I think uh, the best is yet to come, and, um, you know, it, it's just an interesting thing. And I think Coach Dawkins done a great job of, of really continuing to coach these guys to defend knowing how many weapons he has offensively that, you know, I think once conference season comes about, I, I really don't think anybody wants to play this UCF team. You mentioned Colin Smith. He's obviously, you've seen him. He's obviously played well, six points, uh, six boards, had a double-double in the win against Georgia Southern. And I think what's fascinating about him is, you know, in the past when Taco would be out, either via injury or in foul trouble or whatever, UCF would have to go small, maybe would go with Chad Brown. Now Coach Dawkins has the luxury of still staying big and playing Colin Smith in, as the center position if he chooses to. And, that, and he's got some more options up front now in the front court than he's had before, right? No, he totally does. And, and Colin Smith, um, had a good start to the year, you know, and offensively he's been a little bit in a lull. And then the last game out had a great game, hit two threes. You can see he's a capable shooter. He's capable of knocking it down from the free throw line. Um, he's capable of scoring back to the basket buckets, you know. And so, like you mentioned, if Taco Fall, like last night defensively at the end of the game, I didn't think it was a great matchup for Taco. Um, he had a solid game, but Coach Dawkins pulled him out. Chad Brown played the rest of the game. And defensively, you're, you're playing five guards, right? So so when you play Colin, you play Chad Brown, you have the ability to match up defensively in that way. And so, yeah, so Colin, I think, he's a special player now, but I think he'll even be more special as he progresses in his career. He can kind of do it all. He's got the size. Um, and then you mentioned Chad Brown. I mean, that guy's been Mr. Consistency. He's been toughness. And you need a little bit of all of that to kind of make this thing work. No question about that. And, you know, Chad Brown coming off the bench. He could also play the bigs. He could start if need be. I mean, that gives him really the more flexibility up front that he has, and it gives him a lot of different options he could go with. And uh, that's going to be fascinating. And, and then the rest of the bench, I'm curious what you think about like, guys like Cesar, who I know is coming off some injuries there, you know, trying to find his rhythm. I feel like there's that one, there's got, there's that one guy that's ready to kind of be the off the bench, be, provide some scoring, some consistent scoring, whether it be a, a Cesar De Jesus, Maybe it's a Frank Burtz who just came in late, who Coach Dawkins has talked about, or a Dayon Griffin. What, what's your thoughts on the bench scoring production side there? And uh, I think that's where you could see some improvements as the season goes on. 
Yeah, I think you mentioned, uh, you know, Frank Burtz and, and Cesar De Jesus. I mean, both guys played well over the last couple of games. I mean, Frank can clearly shoot the ball, plays hard. He's athletic. He, you know, you see the tip dunk he had a few games ago, uh, brings some excitement. Um, Caesar, I mean, with the basketball, the guy can do just about anything. He can score around the basket. You know, he can shoot from three. He can defend. He plays hard. Um, you know, Dayon, if he can knock it down from three, um, he's a really good contributor. It's just, you know, when I look at Caesar last, last game specifically, um, I thought he did a really good job down the stretch. He made some key assists to Taco. He was under control. Uh, he made a big three, but more than anything, he defended. And from being in that position, you, you just got to earn your, your, your coaching staff's trust. And when you're the sixth, seventh, eighth man, they got to feel good about putting you in the game, that you're going to run the show, you're going to run the offense. Maybe you hit a shot when you're called upon, but you don't, you don't turn the ball over. You take care of it. You have that consistency that where people know what to expect from you. And when I look at Caesar, I think that's his biggest opportunity. I think he's a special player. I think he's a special talent. And once he provides that consistency, I think he'll be that key guy off the bench that will really uh, be a staple for, for night fans to see. We're 10 games in. What's anything surprise you so far that you've seen 10 games in, either you know, uh, either positive, negative, or is it where you thought they would be right now, 10 games? I know, listen, you can argue that we could be two plays away from being undefeated, and uh, you know, we could pick on that, but there are 8-2. Uh, they have wins over a good Western Kentucky team. They beat Alabama at home. What's been your thoughts here 10 games in? Are they where you thought you'd be? What's been the surprise? Yeah, I mean, as a fan, I'm, I'm proud of where they are. I mean, it, after all they've gone through over the last couple of years, it, it's not just flip a switch, right? You mentioned it. It's guys like BJ and Aubrey, uh, Aubrey learning to play together. You know, it's, it's the little stuff like that that you don't see that takes time. Um, of course, you know, you, you look at those games against FAU and Mizzou and you say, man, we could really have won both of those. Um, but, you know, that's perspective. And as you go on, you realize that basketball is a beautiful sport because you lose one, you have one uh, in a couple of days that you can win back. So, you know, when I look at this time for this team, I think this team can be special. I think this team's talented enough. I think they're well-coached enough. I think they have the schedule in front of them enough to make a run towards March. So that's what I look forward to. It's just, again, it, it, it's the compound effect. This December – in, in, in early January, do they get better? Do they believe? Do they buy in? And I think they do. And I think if they do, I think, I think the best has to come. You mentioned they got two games left in the non-conference before conference play starts January 2nd when UCF will host Temple. they got Stetson on Sunday at home. And then Illinois State, which, you know, that uh, Knights fans will remember a couple years ago in that NIT game classic at Illinois State down to the wire uh, where the Knights were able to win in advance into the NIT. But what what's going to be the key here? What, you mentioned now finals are behind most of these players. You've got these two non-conference games, the last chances to get some you know, work done before the conference games start. Uh, what do you expect to see? What, you, what do you want to see here in the next two games against Stetson and Illinois State? Yeah, just close it out. You know, again, being in, in that situation so many times, you just, you're ready to, to go home for the holiday or stay around for the holiday. But, but nevertheless, there's, there's no kids on campus. It's just you. It's your squad. You know, it's the coaching staff. And so it's all basketball. Um, so you really got to create your own energy. You got to create your own urgency. And I think the next two games, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for urgency and you're looking for a commitment to get better. And we talked about it, Mark and I talked about it on the radio before, before last game. You're, you're, you're playing against a faceless opponent. 
whether it's Stetson, whether it's Illinois State. Illinois State's going to be a challenge, right? And, and, and Stetson may be as well. But, but you're playing against yourself. You're playing against that standard that you're trying to set defensively, offensively, you know, all, all of that. So what I'm looking for is urgency before the holiday. Take a little break. Come back, and all of a sudden you're in the conference season. Because the season is a long grind, but it can go quick. And there's these different segments of it that now that you're done playing or I'm done playing, I see so clearly. But when I was in it, you know, you just can't wait for that holiday. So I'm hoping that they finish strong and then they take that little break and then they come back strong. In a way, isn't it? Is it more challenging winning games in December than in to some extent in January and February only because of the distract, you know, what you mentioned? Uh, it's the holidays, uh, exams. Uh, the students are not, you know, you're not going to get the crowds in December that you will in a month or two because the students are out because they, you know, left campus. Uh, let's be honest. Some fan bases are distracted because of the football team and their bowl game. So it, it, there's a lot of things there and you're kind of, oh, by the the way you got to just kind of get through these December games and you kind of have to avoid that mindset right of just trying to get through it you got to play your highest level because you may not necessarily get into the NCAA tournament based on results in December but it could keep you out if you have a result or two that does not go in your favor yeah no question you you see that from a perspective and you know I've been on teams where both have been the case and you know, especially at UCF, right? We're having a great football season, and, and congratulations to the football team. So exciting for everyone. And until January 1st, until that game's over, that's going to be the, the main priority, regardless of whether you think that's right, wrong, or different. And so as a basketball player going through that, I, I think you, you need to get through this holiday season and, and garner enough tension uh, that you feel like, hey, look, I'm 10-2, I'm 11-2, and, and, and I'm coming into conference season. And we have a good product that you should come see. And that, that, that fan base turns their energy from football to basketball. I feel like that's always been the case. And I feel like you wanted to put enough uh, good out there as far as the pre-conference season uh, to get noticed uh, in the conference season. So that's a big part of it, Eric, and that's, that's a good point. But I think every team's different. Every team's motivated by different stuff, and every coach, coaching staff has a different level of urgency, different times of the season. So, you know, you just hope that they come to play out. I will say uh, the games that I've witnessed um, this year, I mean, they always play hard. And offensively, they, they, they run their stuff. They may go through lulls. Um, and, 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 and you talk about the FAU and the Missouri game that they'd like to have back. They are capable of beating just about anybody when they put it together. As a student, you know, as a player, do, do do you feed off when another like for the football team's success? Uh, you know, does the basketball players feed off of that and say, "Hey, you know, we we can feed off of that and go on"? And Danny White's talked about it, all the athletic teams and being successful. And they certainly in the fall they did with women uh, men's soccer having great success, volleyballs had success. You know, and the students, you know that you're you're around each other a lot of times. Athletes are there around each other because they they're hanging around the same you know dorms and, and things like that. Do does that can can that feed off of you? As you saw the basketball team, I noticed the interaction action they had with the football players there at the game against Georgia Southern. They know what they, they've been doing, and they know what the expectations are with basketball, and that could be that could be fed off going into the basketball, too, couldn't it? Yeah, I think it's contagious. Um, you, you want that, right? I mean, you see the attention that football's getting, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it's been incredible, but but selfishly, as a basketball player, you say, hey, what, what does it take for us to, to garner that kind of attention, to put together that type of run, and I think you'd be kidding yourself if you don't, you know, account for human nature in, in that aspect. And, and like you mentioned, uh, you're so close to other athletes. 
you know, whether it be any sport, you, you all live around each other. You all work out in similar buildings and you all watch each other from afar or from a close and you're in the training room together. And so I hope that the basketball team gains inspiration. Um, I hope they gain motivation from that football team um, and what they've done. But what's so interesting uh, too, Eric, is what football has done is, is, is amazing, right? Um, but I look at this basketball team, and I think they have the opportunity to really garner some attention standalone by themselves. And I really see in March, uh, you know, a commentator from ESPN or whatever the sports network saying, wow, you know, UCF's not just a football school. They put it together and, and look at their basketball team. That, I mean, that's how good they are, and that's how good they can be. And so I hope that drives them. You know, as, as a fan, I, I, any external motivation helps. Everybody knows the program hasn't made the NCAA tournament since 2005. They've made postseason since then. Does that even get brought up? Is that motivation or is that even not even like do, do the players just block that off and don't even worry about that? They just worry about what they uh, have in front of them. No, I, I, I think it's everything. I, mm-hmm. I think when you go to college and, and you play uh, Division One, you're, you're looking to get the NCAA tournament. You know, I was a guy that, you know, played five years and got close, but, but didn't get to the NCAA tournament and having friends that did, uh, you know, I envy that. It's, that's what your ultimate goal is. You, you want to go dancing. You want to be on the, the, the selection show, you know, that's, that's everything. You talk about bowl games or new Year's six bowls in football. I mean, getting selected into March madness is what you dream about as a kid. So, you know, I think the fact that UCF hasn't gone dancing for a really long time, uh, drives drives everyone, and when you get picked to win the conference, right? Expectations are high. There's there's no question about that. Um, I, I think that is something that is an expectation and a factor to where that's what you play for, and anything less than that um, is, is a subtle disappointment, although it may be an achievement. And of course, you mentioned the favorites of the American Conference, a league that maybe some of the national media was perceived as, oh, it could be a down year in the league. But you look, I'm looking at the league so far, Taylor. I mean, Cincinnati still looks good. They just beat Xavier. Uh, Houston, some people thought they would drop off. They've beaten Oregon, who's ranked in the top 25. They just beaten Oklahoma State. Uh, I look at Tulsa. They just knocked off Kansas State, who a lot of people think could be a Final Four threat. And they've beaten Oklahoma State. Um, what's been your thoughts? I, I know you keep an eye on the league as you get ready to do league games. I think this league is better than I think some of the national media thought it was going to be before this year, and it's going to be a heck of a battle every night. I mean, UConn beat Syracuse. They look better under the new head coach, Dan Hurley. Memphis has Penny Hardaway. Lots of fascinating storylines and uh, plot lines here in the league. Yeah, and, and you know what? This this league's always better than the national media gets the credit for. Um I mean, even if you think about the, the years that UConn actually won the championship out of the conference, you know, it's just, it's wild to think, you know, over the last couple of years, the teams that the Americans had, um, you know, Houston, again, very talented. All, all the teams that you've mentioned, really, you, you look at a top five of all the teams you've mentioned, you say it, it could be anyone, right? So the margin for error is so small. And so when you look at UCF specifically, and you talk about getting better over the holiday, you're getting better and progressing throughout the season. I, I, I look at it and I say, look, their best days are to come. You know, they've, they've put it together defensively, but maybe not offensively. They've had nights like last night, they put it together offensively, but maybe not defensively. And I think that factor still leads me to believe that they're favored to win this league. I think if you finish in the top two or three of this league, that you're going to be 
a bid to the NCAA tournament um, just because it's that strong of a league. But we'll see how that all plays out. But I think that's a hope. But you just got to continue to take care of business in the pre-conference. You have to win at home in the conference. And then, look, it's always been win at home in conference and split on the road. And if you can do that, you give yourself a chance to compete uh, for a conference championship. And, and, of course, that's what Coach Dawkins and, and his squad are trying to do. What's going to be the key for them to accomplish those goals that you think they need to improve between now and the start of conference and into conference play? That could be a couple key factors that could determine the, the, the fate and the season uh, for UCF basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think defensively, Coach Dawkins' teams have always been elite. And I, I look at this team, I think at times they've been elite. I think at times they, they have not, and they know that they need to improve on that as far as consistency, as far as team defense goes. And I think on the boards, um, you look at the FAU game, they're out-rebounded. Um, you look at uh, – um, there, there was probably three games in this pre-conference season they were out-rebounded. And some of them they still won, but that's an area of the game that they'd like to clean up. I mean, when you start 7-6, 6-11, and 6-6, you expect to be able to, to dominate the boards. And I think they'll get there. I think defensively and rebounds, you control the pace of the game. Uh, and then I think offensively in the half court, um, they'll develop more rhythm. I think at times, you know, they go through uh, stages of the game where they'll, you know, not be able to put the – the, the ball in the bucket and then at times they'll look unbelievable and you could dish to anybody and they'll put the ball in the bucket so I think just the consistency on both sides uh, of the court I think once they put it together that's what I'm looking for and really watching um, as far as consistency goes I agree with that. Uh, hopefully they could do that. Last question, more of a national standpoint, because a lot of people are going to start tuning in more to college basketball. What's been your thoughts uh, nationally on the sport? Obviously, Duke's gotten a lot of attention with Zion, with Zion and, and that group, and obviously college basketball introducing this new net uh, thing, which I don't think anybody still has any idea how this works, supposedly. <laughs> uh, if you do, please feel, feel welcome to explain it. Uh, but what's your thoughts so far on the national sport uh, overall? Yeah, I mean, I, I see it a little bit more balanced. You know, you see teams like uh, Tennessee that are, are clearly relevant, uh, knocking off Gonzaga the other day and Gonzaga knocked off Duke. And you just see the balance and you see the opportunity. And it can be anybody. I mean, there there's so many teams that can compete that will play in the NCAA tournament that could ultimately win it all. You see a team like Kentucky that was ranked in the top uh, couple seeds uh, preseason and, and they've now fallen off and lost some key games. So I think college basketball specifically continues to balance out. I think the TV exposure from an ESPN three and you, et cetera. Um, people know that, Hey, look, I can go play at UCF and be on TV, a lot of games and, and still garner that attention and, 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 and get to the next level. Um, but then you have the teams like Duke that, I mean, I watched Duke and it's hard to imagine somebody beating them down the stretch if they really play to their potential, um, which is absurd. I mean, their team that they have right now is, is absurd. I mean, watching them, um, I, I can't believe they lost the game, but that's the beautiful part of basketball, and you can get upset, and, and that senior team can bring it to you, control the pace of the game, and, and the rest is history. So I'm excited about it. I mean, when the, when the weather starts cooling down air and it starts getting dark earlier, <laughs> basketball season is now – you know, here and, uh, you know, life just gets a little bit better. 
Amen to that, my friend. Trust me, you and I, we're on the same page of that. Basketball's my sport. Between NBA and college hoops, I'm set between now and May. So we're, we're ready to roll, man. <laughs> Let's roll the basketballs out. And Isn't it nice to have a, be a part of a sport, too, where everybody has a chance to win the national title? We don't have to worry about silly debates about who's ranked where. It's nice. It's got to be nice. Yeah. No, I mean, don't, <laughs> don't even go there, man. I mean, that's that's a whole other podcast. Oh, I know. Trust me. Way too many. I hear you, man. Uh, Taylor Young joining us here, former night guard, of course, now basketball analyst. You can hear him with Mark Daniels on 96.9 The Game. Uh, check it out as well as on UCFNights.com. Uh, Taylor, we'll be catching up with you down the road as well as the season uh, progresses. Uh, keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Eric. See you, man. All right. Thanks again to Taylor. Good conversation, uh, Eric. And thank you, by the way, for coming yeah. out of the bullpen on that one because something came up. That's what happens. But um, hey, listen, I got no problems ever talking. I mean, I could talk for hours with Taylor about basketball I, in general. I, mean, I know. I, I'm I'm so sad that I didn't get it. Well, I'll have to catch up with him again at some point. And I know we're going to well, probably have him on again sometime soon on the pod. But it, he's yeah. between him and Mike O'Donnell, man, they're, they're, they're our starting backcourt. Oh, it's great. And, and look, credit to Mark Daniels who gave them both opportunities to do the radio stuff. Remember, I mean, Mike started off doing radio with Mark before, and then he eventually yeah. got opportunities to do national stuff, ESPN3. And, in fact, he did Bright House games. I remember when I was doing stats when it was Bright House Sports Network, and it's now referenced as Spectrum Sports. Mike got his opportunity. That's how he got his break, doing games that way. And then once Mike was doing TV and all this other stuff, he moved on to other things. Then uh, they brought in Taylor Young, and we've been very fortunate. I thought Taylor's great. And uh, it's always fun when I they don't have a chance to watch the game. I'm driving around or whatever on the radio or even online and hear Taylor talk with Mark. I mean, it's been fantastic. And, you know, he was fantastic there. You listen to the interview. You know, he's optimistic, guys. And I want your thoughts on this because we didn't get a chance to touch on this. Uh, and, Murph, I want your opinion on this. I reference to he believes and I that their best basketball is still ahead of them. They're still trying to figure each other out. And... Mm-hmm. I have this theory with Aubrey and BJ in particular. It reminds me a little bit of, as a Heat fan, when the Heat played LeBron James and Dwayne Wade played their first year, and they sort of were so worried about, you know, the other guy that they would defer, sometimes over-defer. And I think I see that with these two, where sometimes maybe BJ tries to defer to Aubrey a little bit early on or, or at times, or Aubrey defers to BJ. Do you get a sense of that? having watched every dribble there, that they're still trying to figure each other out and get comfortable as a unit there, and those two in particular. I think they're still trying to figure out what lineups work work best for them in general. I don't think it's just a BJ or Aubrey thing. I think in general, how do they use Colin? Because, again, he's a different talent uh, you know, than they really had at that position, you know, since last year. Uh, you know, how do they factor in my boy? I will say right now, my boy, Frank Burtz, <laughs> uh, who needs to play yeah. more. Uh, and, and so I, there's a lot of things that they're still figuring out, as many teams are around the nation uh, at this point. And, you know, maybe between BJ and Aubrey, uh, you talk about like, well, LeBron and Dwayne. Well, uh, the Heat uh, did have about five years to get that all straightened out, and it, it paid off. Uh, this team has one year uh, as BJ is a senior and Aubrey <laughs> right. less, less than that, in fact, now. <laughs> yeah, BJ's a 20, and then Aubrey's a 23 year old junior. Uh, so. We'll see. I, I think this team could look pretty different at the middle at the midpoint of conference play. I, I honestly can't say that I know what this team is going to give me on a, on a on a on a game to game basis at this point because we've right. seen them 
We've seen them have two losses. They're only two losses, but two losses in, in games they, they should have won. Flat out should have won. They blew they blew multiple double digit leads at home against FAU, and they threw away almost literally threw away the game against Missouri uh, a, a couple weeks ago. So I, I don't know what to expect. And then last you know the game against uh, a game against Georgia Southern looked like it was going to be a walkover early. It turned into a deficit late. So you just don't know yet. I think they are really trying to figure out what rotations work right. best uh, for the for the long for the long haul. Well, and, and listen, Taylor talked about in the interview there. Remember, uh, it's not like the NBA where you know you have you know you could you have exhibition games. You have an eighty-two game season to figure each other out. College basketball, you know, you're limited in you know in the off season, and then you have maybe a couple of practices. Maybe you get an exhibition game. Remember, Aubrey's coming off an injury, so they're still trying to figure each other out. Uh, I want to pick up on Murph's point about Burtz because Taylor talked about him, and I and I want your both your thoughts on Burtz and then Caesar the Jesus. I think those two guys are keys, and I know Taylor's confident, particularly with Caesar coming from the back from the injury, to provide some scoring off the bench and some and, and added offense. I think we know what Chad Brown brings to the table, but as far as uh, of putting the ball in the basket, what's your thoughts on Burtz and Caesar and the Jesus moving forward? I think are two wild cards. That I'm curious to see, and you mentioned you think Burt should play more. Oh, I love me, I love these Frank Burts. Uh, <laughs> you know, really, it's it's either him or Dayon Griffin, kind of at that three off the bench. But but Burts really gives you more energy. Uh, he he can do it on both ends of the floor. He's a really good. He's not. He's a really good shooter, but also defensively, he's got active hands. Uh, he had a rebound a couple a uh, couple of games ago. Uh, the game against Grambling, where Taco had his hands stretched up uh, to uh, at the top. And Birch jumped so high, he almost grabbed the rebound at Taco's hands at the top of his, uh, at the top of his, uh, his outstretched arms. And so he gives you so much energy and effort on both sides of the court. And being offensively pretty proficient as a shooter, I think he needs to play more in a reserve role. Caesar, Caesar, so far this year has kind of been what he was early last year, which is a guy whom once he's able to get in the paint, he can finish really well. I mean, he's a, a great driving guard. And that he can create lanes for himself and, and get layups. He just doesn't trust his shot, and, and and you can see it. Like if he if he misses one, it sort of becomes a thing where it just sort of snowballs on him. So they're trying to. I don't know what you know is the answer there, but uh, he he's certainly a better shooter than this. And I think it's just maybe it's a confidence issue because uh, it just you know again it looks like he's so uncomfortable when he's on the perimeter as as an offensive player. Well, I think uh, timing, re- too. I think timing, Taylor alluded to. Remember, he's coming off an injury. Now you're coming off the bench, and it's a different mm-hmm. role. And I think he's still trying to figure out his role there a little bit. Remember, he got more playing time last year because there was more availability. Not as much now, especially with Terrell Allen running the point in the starting lineup. I do think some of that is he's coming off these injuries, and he's still trying to get the timing right. And maybe he's not in that rhythm yet. Maybe so. I, I just think also, in general, if you look at this team with – with not not just the big name players, uh, but with Burtz and and having Colin Smith and Aubrey, uh, the guys who didn't play at all last year who are now here, it's amazing how much better how much better this team is just in terms of depth, length, versatility, uh, offensive potency. Uh, there's so much more that this you, you can and we can see, and we can see it. We can see it. It's I mean, this team is so much better than it was last year. It, it's really just night and day. Uh, even if you know, B, I, I know BJ having BJ's out there great, and Taco's out there getting his blocks and rebounds. 
by the way, Taco made two free throws in a row and set the crowd uh, on fire uh, <laughs> against uh, that game. It was amazing. He made two in a row. The, the bench for Georgia Southern, which we're right next to as media, the bench for Georgia Southern was beside itself, looking at his his motion and seeing both of those go in. They were like, "What is this?" But um, but no, this team is this team is a lot this team is a lot better than last year with with the rest, with the roster they have. I, I just don't think they 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 or Johnny know what's the perfect way to go about it. And that's 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 the way this goes. I mean, that's the way it's going to happen in, in non conferences. You you try to figure out how to best use your pieces and situate them for when you get into February and March. All right. Well, we are going. Well, maybe they'll figure out these lineup problems against Stetson. Who knows? Um, we've got so we're, like we said, Stetson coming up next for UCF um, as we head toward the holiday season. The schedule kind of thins out um, before conference play. Uh, two more non-conference games before Christmas break, and then they start the conference uh, schedule at home on Wednesday, January the second against Temple. So, um, and we'll be covering that the whole way. Stetson, Illinois State. I know you guys are really excited for Stetson. Well, come back from Arizona quickly. I I can almost tell you right now, I will not make that Temple game on the second because I'm pretty sure I'll still be in Phoenix. We'll be fine. We'll be. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be. Many others. Yeah. Yeah. Probably probably, going to be a lot of missed flights after that. Anyway, speaking of which, perfect segue, Brian Murphy, because when we get back. I do. When we get back, we will uh, we, we will dip into UCF and LSU a little bit from a for you degenerates out there. We'll look at the spread and some of the other numbers coming off of that, and then we'll also chat ch- chat about some uh, uh, UCF women's basketball and some postseason awards from the uh, fall uh, sports as well. Stick around; we'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! 
Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, we're going to talk a little, just a little bit of football here for you, uh, uh, for you out there. And uh, I, I wanted to um, pull up some of the stuff on Odd Shark that they had uh, for you. So, by the way, the, the line for UCF and LSU, January 1st, 1 p.m. Eastern kick. Uh, the line started off uh, at LSU by 10. It has since dropped to 7.5. Um, money line two, plus 241 for USF, minus 269 for LSU. Over-unders at 55.5. So far, 55% of the money has been on UCF. Um, with the 7.5, excuse me, 64% of the money has been over the 55.5. So... Um, that gives you an indication of what the uh, of what the sharps are thinking about UCF, particularly with uh, uh, with LSU actually not hurting on the defensive end, but uh, but missing some key components. Eric Lopez. Yeah, I mean they're going to be without some starters on the defensive side of the ball. They're a little banged up, uh, even on the offensive side. Uh, I've been told that LSU ticket sales uh, is not, you know, they're having a hard time selling those Fiesta Bowl tickets. They're not really, if Tiger fans are, you know, they're going to they're gonna draw, but it's not going to, it's not like going in five seconds. This is not the Sugar Bowl, for example, for LSU. So, yeah, I, I'm not surprised. I think this is a game, again, this is deja vu to last year. This game means more to UCF than it does to LSU. And LSU is not at full strength. LSU is not a team that's Wait, wait, gonna, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying LSU is not motivated? You said it, not me. Um, I would say that LSU, even if you believe LSU wins this game, LSU is not a team that's going to put up 50, 60 points unless they need unless they get seven overtimes out of it. So I could, I, I, I think even if you don't think UCF wins, to take the points, is, it makes a lot of sense because I don't see a scenario where LSU blows out UCF. The only way that happens is if LSU just dominates UCF in the line of scrimmage in particular – uh, the defensive line dominates UCF's offensive line and puts pressure on Mac and shuts down the run and forces some turnovers. I, I just, to me, I understand completely why UCF uh, people are betting on UCF. I know I did. I put 40 points on Bowl Mania on ESPN because I'm very confident UCF will win this game going away. I, I really do. I don't, again, I know people don't like to hear that about, oh, the motivation thing, but I do buy into the fact that certain games and, and, and with bowl games Certain teams, it matters more than others. I do buy into that because, it, you know, other people have other agendas and other distractions. Some people are worried about the NFL draft, like uh, in other in the, some of these games. So, Like like Greedy Williams is. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I, I think it's a very legitimate question to ask about LSU and where their heads are at, just like it is in some of these games. That's why I hate these bowl games. That's why I think these bowl games, I don't even, you know what I call them? I call them friendlies like they do in our friends at soccer they're friendlies exhibitions and so what and a lot of stuff tends to happen in these type of games that doesn't happen especially with all this time off which is absurd it's like a new season in the sport so i i i think the wise betting money should go on ucf i well well you're not going to get any argument from me <laughs> but uh the, but yeah i i mean i get that i i just you know lsu not having a couple of guys and uh, you know, a couple of their guys on D and, and Brian, I know you can speak to this. It's not like the guys behind those guys are scrubs. You know, I mean, no, like, they're, like, they're like, SEC, we, we, they're on scholarship in the SEC too. 
Sure. Yeah. No, I understand. And the difference, and really, the guys on ESPN have talked about this too. Like the difference in athletes that LSU brings in and UCF brings in now uh, aren't terribly different, uh, especially the way UCF has been recruiting. This, I know, it's an Amer- it's an American conference team, but the yeah, we 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 watch this team, Jeffrey. We know this this team is not a sub level athletic team. It, it's right up there. So they're gonna they they're it's not like this. This is a uh, an advantage for LSU with their with their players. UCF's got great players as well. Yeah. And we can't you 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 can't just gloss over what LSU won't have on the field. I mean, they will not have a guy in Greedy Williams who probably is going to be the number one cornerback taken in this draft. He's probably going to be a top twelve pick. He's like six foot two as a corner. And then the other guy they're missing is is their most their second most experienced cornerback on the other side of the field, Christian Fulton who's out with an injury. So I'm missing their two top corners. Uh, Devin White, who is the Buckus Award winner at linebacker, will play in this game for LSU. But, uh, you know, I'm sure he's thinking about his draft stock and his draft status going into this game. Uh, and, and the defense for LSU is the key to this team. I mean, offensively, they are not an explosive team. It, they're much like you know, the, a, lot of, a lot of SEC teams. They have a really strong run game. They have a quarterback in Joe Burrow who's good. But they don't expect him to light it up, you know, with 500 yards. They they want to suffocate you defensively, and the, and the, the guys they're missing are not just starters. They're really really good players. Yeah. And by the way, that corners that's how their defense. They love playing man to man, so their yes. quarterbacks are very important to that scheme from Dave Aranda. Now they're going to be much more less experienced in the secondary. Now the good news is you have all this practice time, but you're going up against talented UCF receivers. Uh, oh that, yeah, and you need as many secondary guys as you can, so it puts more pressure on LSU's defensive line to put pressure on Mac when he comes to throw. But they're very dependent on their secondary and pressing and playing man to man. So it'll be interesting to see what Dave Aranda comes up with, which I think is going to be as we'll get into as we get closer to this game. I think Dave Aranda is the first quality defensive coordinator UCF has seen this year, and I think he's one of the best in the country. And I'm fascinated to see what kind of schemes he tries to come up with against UCF, especially without his two top corners. Eric Lopez throwing shade on every defensive coordinator in the American. Oh, boy. What's funny, though, is like <laughs> if, if, you, if you look statistically, and I know they've played much different schedules, but if you look statistically, just in terms of uh, you know points allowed, yards allowed, rushing, rushing defense, Cincinnati – Statistically, is has put up a better year than LSU. Again, again, against totally different competition. I get it. <laughs> yeah, but we. Yeah, but so- I understand. I'm just saying, Cincinnati ranks in the top ten in most of those categories, whereas LSU is somewhere between 25 and 40. And we, we 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 we've seen at least UCF go up against Cincinnati and what they did in that game. Uh, it was obviously UCF Stevens that was the more impressive unit in that game uh, on Saturday night. So I don't think this defense for LSU, while very very good, scares anybody. UCF. I mean, uh, this is this is going to be a, a pretty. Uh, it's not going to be an overwhelming task. Put it that way. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on how the uh, on how the line shapes out uh, for this game. It'll give. It just gives us that many more hints. That many more hints as to as to what may happen um, going forward. Now, one of the other things that. Um, went down a little earlier this week was, uh, <clears throat> well, quite another flurry of the college football playoff expansion talk uh, that went around. A uh, An article that came out in The Athletic, which you have to pay to get, but it's pretty good. Nicole Auerbach uh, on Wednesday 
wrote that several, uh, this is quoting uh, a story about that story by Stuart Mandel, also on The Athletic, um, quoted uh, several notable college football leaders, including Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby, Wisconsin Athletic Director Barry Alvarez, and West Virginia President Gordon Gee, said they are ready to begin discussing an expansion of the college football playoff to eight teams, and some would like to see it as soon as 2020, halfway through the playoff's original 12-year contract with ESPN. The reason why is because they will have every bowl will have had their cycle through the semifinals. A couple of quotes from that piece. Um, Gordon Gee, we now have five years worth of experience. There's nothing wrong with hitting the button and saying, let's take a look at what's working and what's not working. And we don't need to wait. An- we don't need to wait another six years to make sure that we live out a contract. End quote. Barry Alvarez. Uh, it, he says it's an appropriate thing to start thinking about. Um, and that, uh, it, and, uh, by the way, Alvarez, who used to be on the uh, selection committee, he said expansion is inevitable. Said some nice things about UCF along the way. Um, let's see. But the stick in the mud is SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Surprise, surprise. Who who told uh, Stuart Mandel, quote, This is not a new conversation. College football has a system in place that has been remarkably successful in the first four years. Of course, the SEC commissioner would say this. And we expect the success will continue for the current CFP format, end quote. Uh, a couple things to note. The FBS commissioners, plus the athletic director at Notre Dame, the only independent part of, the, part of, the, uh, uh, part of that, Jack Swarbrick, uh, we'll meet the morning of the championship game on January 7th. Um, presumably they may talk about it, um, or maybe not. We don't know. Uh, Barry Alvarez actually sketched out an 18 playoff the last few years, looking at like what would it look like if we had, if we took, if we guaranteed conference champions or did not guarantee conference champions. He floated the idea of the group of five, the highest ranked group of five champion being given an automatic berth into the CFP. Um, Lopez, I, I have to give you credit on two things. Number one, you say this is not going to happen until the end of the contract, which, you know, it's one thing if they start talking about it, maybe it will happen, you know, midway through, but there's a lot of moving parts that they would have to convince. Otherwise, I tend to believe you on that. But the other thing that yep. you said that I thought was true and turns out to be true I think in this in this part of the debate is the other conferences are starting to get mad at the SEC again yep because yep. The, the the Big 12 the, the 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 Big 10 the Pac 12 Barry Alvarez is Mr. Big 10 as we all know the language that they were using in this article and we'll put put a link to it in the notes from the Cole Hour back um the language that they were using was very, man, here we go again with the SEC, you know, kind of kind of overtaking the entire thing and locking us and, the, and these other conferences who are supposedly on an equal footing with them out of the conversation. Um, and my thought on this, now the reaction on the UCF side I thought was pretty interesting because all of a sudden this morning people are blowing up my mansion saying... Oh yeah, now the the other conferences decide. Well, I'm not so sure. Like basically questioning their motives and saying that they're using <laughs> UCF as a human shield to try and expand the playoffs so that they can continue to lock out a group of five teams. But my thought on that was, what are you doing casting aspersions on the allies that you need in the Power Correct. Five conferences? Well, well, because here's the thing: because UCF always thought there were some people that thought fans 
I should specifically say. Right, because Dan, somehow, Danny White actually came out and said on the on, on an interview, he's like he's like he thought it was beautiful was his quote that that yeah. that what he said that what he's been advocating in the last twelve months is actually seems to be gaining traction amongst the power that be. Anyway, right. carry on with what you're saying. No, I, no, you're right. And this was the system was never going to change. And we've said this on this podcast before. The system was not going to change because UCF got left out the last two years out of the playoff system. The system was going to change when conferences like the Big Ten and the Big 12 get all, all of a sudden figure out, oh, wait a minute, this is not working for us. Now, you mentioned the two people, for example. Barry Alvarez, what's he associated with? The Big Ten. And Gordon Gee, where is he at right now? Uh, well, he's the president of West Virginia in the Big Twelve. Oh, wow. Okay, so you if and and a lot of the the attention by the media this week has been about the playoff, but let's expand on this. This is what's really ticked off some of the other conferences. Okay, look at the major bowls bowl games, right? The Peach Bowl. Who's in the Peach Bowl? SEC, Florida, yep. right? Who's in the Fiesta Bowl? SEC, LSU. Who's in the Sugar Bowl? Oh, Georgia. Oh, and they though that means they don't have a playoff team, right? Oh no, wait, they do. They have one. So they've got four teams in their conference appropriating the all these major bowls. If you're Larry Scott of the Pac twelve, Washington State was openly, publicly stating we want to play in the Fiesta Bowl. And their argument is how is it that Washington State, who's a top ten team most of the year, only has two losses compared to three from LSU and Florida? makes more geography sense in the Fiesta Bowl and would probably be more excited to play in the Fiesta Bowl than LSU. How do you pick LSU over Washington State in the rankings? Oh, because you guys prefer the SEC. If you're Jim Delaney, you're asking yourself, wait a minute, last year you told me that Alabama got in over my Big Ten champion because they had one loss and we had two, and yet this year you put a two-loss SEC team that didn't even win their conference over my Big Ten champion who has one loss. And if you're Bob Bowlesby, you're looking at it as, wait a minute, you're telling me that we almost lost our playoff spot to a two-loss SEC at large team? That's what's ticked a lot of people off right now. And I think that's why it's got a lot of people talking right now. Now, I am not in the belief that this will happen in 2020. I think the reason why 2020 has come up is because there are, and, and there's been outlets that have reported this, I think Clay Travis being one of them, where there are some of the major sponsors of the playoff, their contracts come up after next year. So if, you know, from a sponsorship standpoint, let's be honest, Jeff, it doesn't take a genius. If you're a sponsor and you want to sponsor the playoff, wouldn't you rather have more games, uh, the playoff, that maybe, you know, generate 25 million viewers? Yeah. Which yeah. Specif does. Specifically four more games. <laughs> right, exactly. So... Uh, I think what we're starting to see is the beginning of the conversations that are taking place that will event. Yes, we're going to get 18 playoff. I still think it won't happen until later down the road, but I do think we're going to get an 18 playoff. And I think the other aspect of this too, that nobody's talking about, I think a lot of these conferences, and this goes also, I think in part to the American conference and the story that came out earlier about reports that they are asking, perhaps they might ask for a grant of rights. I think every conference wants to know, okay, what is the plan of the playoff here moving forward? Because do we need to expand? Do we not need to expand? What's going to happen with the conference championship games? Do we need to, to get rid of divisions? I think there's a lot of conversations, and I think everybody wants to know where is the playoff going to stand so they can decide, okay, do we need to expand? Or, you know what? If you're going to give us automatic bids to the conferences, and I'm Jim Delaney, maybe I think about 
going to the Big 12 and trying to take Texas and Oklahoma so I can kill the Big 12 and eliminate that at an automatic bid. Or maybe the Big 12 decides to expand. You don't know. But I think every conference wants to know what's going to happen with the playoff so they can start planning for the new TV contracts and what they have to do if they want to expand or not expand in conference down the road. So so Stuart Mandel, in his uh, in his follow-up piece in uh, in The Athletic, uh, he had three three scenarios. He said that uh, there was there would be an expanded playoff in 2020. Nothing changes until 2026, and then a uh, quote more modest revision, something around the, uh, something around like maybe changing around the selection process. Um, I can see that. Maybe rethinking the quote four best mandate, implementing universal scheduling, or perhaps compromising with a six-team playoff um, that affords at least some increased access for conference championships. Um, I'm going to throw it open to both of you guys and give me give me quick answers. And I, So rapid fire, Lopez. Here we go. And I'm going to throw this to both of you. Um, he says that there's a... F- that the leading... that the leading percent chance is a more modest revision, 50%. He gives it that. He says there's a 35... He gives the expanded playoff in 2020 to eight teams... A twenty, a thirty-five percent chance. So basically, one in three, and then nothing changes until twenty twenty-six. He has this, the lowest chance, fifteen percent. Um, I'll throw it to you guys. Uh, what do you think is the most likely avenue? And uh, Eric, I'll start with you. Rapid fire. I agree with Stewart, and you. I agree with you on Jeff. You've brought this up. The reason this won't happen faster is it's not as you know people are saying oh get rid of conference championship games it's not going to happen that way the SEC is making a lot of money off that game the Big 12 just made a lot of money off of that you there's a lot of issues that have to be addressed before you go to an 18 playoff I agree with Stewart I think there's tweaks that will lead us eventually to eight teams in 2027 yeah I, I there's no way if you're going to say it, the, the people are floating the idea of uh, of deleting the conference championship games that's just never ever. No going to happen. What about you, Bri? Sure. Let's say 2027, 18 playoff. I, this, uh, this is really like, uh, I, I don't feel like there's any major changes coming anytime soon. Certainly not 2020. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not down on this report at all. Like I, I'm not, it's, that doesn't get me going at all. Like, this nothing's going to really change until like 2024, 2026. So right. we got time. But, but let me ask, you know let me ask this, you that. Oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, this is what this is. This is the equivalent of the baseball winter meetings, where there's going to be yeah. a lot of chatter, a lot of gossip, <laughs> of but nothing happens, nothing happens because there's nothing else to do. A lot, of, a lot know, of hashtag content. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. We, we thank you for that. Yeah. Brian, let me ask you this, and, and and you can be perfectly candid. You don't have to You don't have to riff on this, but like mm. in <laughs> outside – Outside of the the closely controlled confines of uh, of you know press conferences, mm-hmm. do any of the coaches or the players kind of talk about this thing? Like, man, they need to expand this playoff. This is BS. We should have had a shot at this. Sure. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, the the players want to be like, yeah, you, all right, Jeffrey. We cover UCF football. I, I know, you but, but want- do, do they do they talk <laughs> do they talk about it like this is BS or do they talk are there or are, are some of them like eh, whatever it's beyond our control? I mean, no, I think you get a mix of that. Like I talked to to Billy Grenier today, the 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 guard for UCF, and uh, he talked about. I asked him about it, and he was sort of like, you know, it's not really in our control. Sure, we want to be there. But when we talked to Wyatt Miller right after the Fiesta Bowl announcement was made on that Sunday, the day after the conference championship game, he was like, you know, we should obviously be in that other thing, you know, the other thing. And then 
someone said like what is the other thing and he's like well i don't think we need to, to say it but, but you why don't they is. say that why does yeah, he just I say mean, why does he just say you know what we're happy to be in we're happy to be in the fiesta bowl but damn it we should be no. in the playoff yeah i mean basically that's what he said but just without saying the playoff that's all i mean he said everything else just not the words the playoff now why do you guys uh, do that he felt the need to censor himself there but whatever it is what it yeah. is it's, it's, it's his prerogative it's, it's not it's so, not a swear word it's not going to get you well, you well i'll tell you actually i'll tell you why he censored himself because let's be honest danny white hasn't referenced it as he says he's not a playoff it's an invitational so maybe that's <laughs> I, I, I think that's part of it uh on that so Look, I'm sure the players, look, they're not going to talk openly about it because they got to focus right. on a football game. If they lose to LSU, all this conversation's meaningless at this point. And I think you'll hear them talk more about it if they beat LSU afterwards. I, 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 I think, think you're right about the, that. I think I think that's the message internally. All right. Just well, like we did last, last exactly. year, we did the same thing. Like last year, it was all about, you know, like, yeah, well, you know, we can't really worry about it. It's not in our control. Sure, we'd like to be there. And then after the game, I remember Jemias Pittman was like, yeah, we were, we're national champs. We, we would beat everybody. It's like, yeah, that, that, after the game, that's what they're going to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, we'll be keeping an eye on this. Uh, you know, as the as the uh, drip drip of uh, of lull in the college football calendar content comes out, um, <laughs> and if anything crazy happens, we will be sure to uh, pass it along to you. All right. A couple things I wanted to uh, to wrap as we get through as we get through this week. Um, women's basketball. They are. By the way. Did you know that our two basketball teams are a combined sixteen and three this year? Uh, UCF women's basketball is eight and one. Um, with by the way, six of those nine games have been on the road. They've only played three home games. Um, they're coming off an eight point win at Duquesne. They beat Delaware by eleven at Delaware. Um, and this is they haven't played at home since that whitewashing of of Chattanooga that that we were at at the end of November. And uh, they're not going to be home again until this Monday, the 17th, um, against the University of the Pacific. Um, but this team is, uh, is, is rolling on through their schedule at 8-1. and one. Um, And as you, know, you look at some of the performances that we've seen from this team, you know, we're seeing a great season from K.K. Wright. Um, she has, you know, she's over 300 assists for her career. She's over 150 steals. Um, and uh, right now she's the leading scorer. She's averaging almost 20 points a game. She's the one night that's, uh, that's leading, uh, that, that is in double figures right now. Sydney McDonald, her two guard is uh, right behind her at 9.6 points per game. But, um, man, are we seeing the emergence of, uh, of a real, a real star in, uh, in KK Wright as UCF continues to, um, to move on through this schedule. And as we get ready for uh, conference play, Eric Lopez, this is, uh, I think that this is the underappreciated story right now of the first part of this athletic season is how good women's basketball is heading into conference play. I get, let me give a shout out to John Alba at Spectrum Sports. I think if you look it up online, he recently did a feature on KK Wright, uh, who has been phenomenal this year. I mean, yeah. she is unbelievable. I mean, I, I, you know, going into the year, you're like, well, who's going to replace, you know, you know, Zakia Saunders in the, you know, and running the offense. Oh, well, that's KK Wright. That's who. Yeah. Um, she's playing at a super high level. Like, she would be my player of the year that does not, uh, that, you know, if you take out Connecticut from the league right now, there you go. Probably first team all conference. She's been phenomenal. And, you know, you mentioned this, and I know this is December, and I know that the coaches don't want me to, you know, they don't want to hear this. They're like, oh, it doesn't matter right now. It's December. 
You realize UCF's RPI right now is 24 in women's basketball, according to my friend Warren Nolan, who covers it. They just beat Duquesne, who's a good RPI team. They beat Villanova. You mentioned all the road games they've played. They've got a big one coming up. I know they got a home game against Pacific, who's pretty good, on Monday night. But on December 22nd, in oh, St. Yeah. Petersburg. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for this one, baby. Jeffrey's got a hey, Murph. Jeff's getting that gas tank ready. You know he's going to be in. He's going to be in St. Pete, Syracuse, UCF women's basketball. Syracuse eight and two on the year, ten in the RPI. That's a huge game from a resume standpoint. So uh, you're right. This team is off to a phenomenal start. They have put themselves if they can finish strong in the non-conference in position to put themselves. Let's be honest. You're not going to win the conference um, regular season or tournament more than likely because of UConn. But you put yourselves in position to be an at-large team. And I think this team is a legitimate case that they could be the second-best team in the American. It's going to be them or South Florida. And I cannot wait uh, for those two games, uh, those two teams to collide. And they're contrasting the styles. But you're right. This team has got depth. They can defend. And they jump on people. Like, they jump and get – it seems like every game they jump off to a they, – they have that big run and they have a 10 to 15-point lead. They've got a killer instinct there that I don't know if they necessarily have had – uh, in the last couple, the first couple of years, they've got an instinct of jumping out to good starts and putting teams away. Yeah, I, I, I've been really impressed, and from what I saw in that Chattanooga game, I mean, I mean, the way that they, it's all it's all about the defense. That the press that they run is just too much for some of these teams to handle. I'm going to be very interested to see how they do against Syracuse. I'm going to be really interested to see. By the way, I've got my I've got that Tuesday, January eighth date circled on my calendar, yeah. Elo, when they yep. play South Florida in yep. Tampa. For the we first time, we know how good we gotta be there. We know how good that team is, and uh, and that's going to be a really big test. That's their second conference game of the year. They open the conference slate at Memphis on Saturday, January fifth. So I'm going to be really interested to see how they come out of the gates in that one. I also have some award news to pass along from volleyball. Well, they were the two best players for UCF this year, and uh, they both been named. Uh, or, or gotten some regional and national honors. Jordan Pingle, the Knights Sloan senior, McKenna Melville, the Knights um, big-time freshman, um, both won AVCA All-Region First Team honors, and they were named honorable mention to the National All-American team. So I wanted to pass along congratulations to them. Jordan, of course, doing that in her final season at UCF, and um, the future is indeed bright for McKenna Melville at UCF based on what we have seen. So... Um, so some good news to pass along for UCF, who finished the season at 27-4. and four. This weekend, by the way, in Minneapolis is the Volleyball Final Four. I'll be watching um, those matches all throughout. I, I, you know I'll be watching those matches throughout because it's volleyball, man. It's the, it's the, it's the big coming out party. All right, let's wrap this thing up uh, uh, by talking about what we have coming up. Brian, uh, what is on your agenda this week? Uh, let's see. We, we talk to Josh Heifel tomorrow, which would be, fr- which would be Friday. And uh, if anything, if history serves as any guide, it'll be just an amazing press conference. It, yeah, we're and, focusing on going one and zero against LSU on New Year's Day. And, that's what we're, yeah, that's what we're doing. and so there's that. And Look then, at that! Uh, you don't even have to go. I just said exactly what you said. It. Jeffrey just covered at least forty percent of what yeah. will be said tomorrow. Save, your, save yourself the gas. Anyway, go ahead. Um, and then uh, we'll talk to UCF basketball tomorrow as they get ready for Stetson. I'll be there Sunday afternoon. Uh, I'll probably have a story written by about that game by about the midway point of the first half because it should be a laugher. Uh, and also, uh, while we're talking about awards, we should also mention that UCF freshman guard, uh, Richard freshman guard Cole Schneider, 
was named to the USA Today All Freshman All American team. Yes, indeed. Uh, this week. So I mean, that's that's pretty big. You took every freshman in college football. Uh, Cole Schneider is uh, is on the starting uh, freshman team. Very nice. I'm down for that. Uh, Lopez, what about you? Well, I first want to congratulate Brian Murphy and Ian McDougal and a lot of UCF baseball fans as the big news coming out. Baseball <laughs> home games on the weeknight moved up from 6.30 to 6 o'clock. All right. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm loving that. I mean, who's not loving that, right? I mean. It's great. Not Get home at a reasonable still, hour during the week. All right. <laughs> we would still like for the Saturday games to be at 4 and not 6. Right. But, hey, but we'll take it. I'll take a half-hour bump up. No, 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 no. You want the Saturday games to be at, like, 10 a.m. No. Like, you know, get, get, get yourself the whole day, right, you know? No, I, I'm cool with the Sunday game at 1. That's fine. It's, yeah. it's hard enough for me to get out of there by, you know, <laughs> at 1. It reminds me of O'Leary. Like, somebody asked him about, like, weird start times and stuff. And, and they, were, they asked him, like, what's the ideal time for you to start a game, Coach? He's like, 9 a.m.? I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> okay, good. Great. All right. One man. So, yeah, no, 6 o'clock. I like the move. Uh, there will be, you know, even though, I mean, I don't benefit from it as much because a lot of times softball is flying around that same time. But nonetheless, I do like that move. I think that's going to help a lot with attendance. Uh, I do agree with Murph. I think Saturday, 4 o'clock, I used to like those. Uh, but 6 o'clock Saturdays aren't the worst thing in the world, Murph. I mean, it's, uh, is that no. right? Else? No. So, I think that's great. Uh, so you know who else likes you know that. you know how who else likes that guys like me who have who wants to bring their kids to the game. Amen to that. That's Amen that's what that. that's that's what that's Amen all about. That. Right there, so. um, yeah, I think that's awesome, and, and that should be cool. Uh, as far as what I'm working on, I'm actually going to work on a project here that's going to take me a little while, and actually both of you might contribute to it. And I got to give credit to volleyball and, and Todd Dashett. I was at the NCAA tournament game. I was there a couple times, and I and I was staring at the Ring of Honor, Jeff, which you've talked about. You've been a part of the, the ceremonies. They have a Ring of Honor, right? We're, explain to the audience what that is. Okay, so the Ring of Honor, it's 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 not a ring. It's more of a wall. But yeah. um, there are a few banners up there celebrating uh, and, and commemorating individuals and teams uh, who have contributed mightily to uh, the success of UCF volleyball over the years. So the 1978 National Championship team has a banner. Um, the uh, 2003 team has a banner up there. Jenny Frank has a banner. Um, let's see, who else am I? Th- Laura Smith has a banner. Lucy McDaniel is up there as well. So, it's it, yeah, it's, it's, it's like instead of retired numbers, they do that. So anyway. So, so what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do that list for all the major UCF sports on Ooh, campus. Boy softball baseball basketball and kind of pick it up not necessarily have the player the players that are already in the hall of fame we're not going to include because they're already in the hall of fame they're already acknowledged i'm thinking more of a time period from maybe the last 13 years or so of and moving forward of guys that we think will be honored down the road in the future let's do do the uh, you know how you do it okay you do it in the conference usa forward era yeah how about that i I like it no that's exactly the 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 drop-off point uh, well, I'll start probably in that 05, yeah, probably 06 range because the last Hall of Fame that UCF had was in 2015. Uh, they had some athletes from 05. So you're right. It'll be from Conference USA to the present. Who do I think are some of the players that will be recognized in their respective sports? And uh, Jeff and, uh, you know, and you guys and, and the entire staff at Banneret are more than welcome to contribute to that. If, you know, because I'm sure there's going to be a names that I will miss, and you guys could either say, "Hey, this one should be in or not." So I'm going to be working on that. 
So look for that down, uh, here in the near future here on Black and Go okay. Banneret. We've got uh, early signing period coming up, and uh, uh, and uh, Zach Goodall is working on some stuff with that. I, too, am going back in time a little bit this week and updating our um, recruiting and player development database, um, which, uh, it, you know, it's, we go back, you know, five to recruiting classes five years before. And, uh, and I kind of grade how good the recruits were after their UCF career is over. So uh, I'm actually updating that. I'm, I'm working on the 2010 class right now, which is actually pretty good. So, all right, let's wrap this thing up here at the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Uh, you can follow us again at blackandgoldbanneret.com, uh, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy and be on the lookout because we've got a lot of stuff like you said coming up fellas thanks again we'll talk to you soon bye Jeffrey alright and uh, thanks to you for listening this has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast we'll catch you again next week